Jesus, we owe everything to you. We see you as our creator, as the love of our souls, our redeemer, our sanctifier, our coming king, and so, so many other things as well. We give you all praise, honor, and glory, and we would love to learn a few more things tonight about walking with you. So will you please, <clears throat> excuse me, impart your spirit and uh, open our eyes, open our ears, help us to receive truth and uh, have discernment for stuff we ought to weed out. We love you and pray these things in your holy name. Amen. When I uh, moved to Roseburg many years ago to be a pastor down there, I heard about a pastor's prayer group. And I was really excited about that because I'd been part of one here in the valley and really had benefited from that time with other uh, fellow pastors, meeting, seeking the Lord, worshiping together. <clears throat> but I was raised in very conservative churches. And I went to the first meeting of these uh, pastors, and the group was dominated by Pentecostal charismatic guys. And uh, boy, it was, uh, it was wild. Um, uh, we start to pray, and I'm, I'm used to when, when we're at a prayer meeting, one person prays, everybody else calmly waits for a chance to, to pray. <clears throat> and that's not what they did. Uh, one guy's praying at least, and others are really confirming and praising God, and there's so much going on, and I, I, I was just really, really distracted, and it was really weird, because it's not how I had experienced prayer meetings. It wasn't bad, it wasn't wrong, it just was really different for me, and it was awkward. And so the meeting got done, and it, it just was so different that I snuck on out and uh, decided I'm probably not going back to that. But a couple weeks later, the Holy Spirit kept saying, get back in there. Get back in there. You need the fellowship that you're going to have there. Go again. And I did. And it was a whole different experience. And I didn't find out till a couple years later that a couple of the key men in that group, a couple of very Pentecostal charismatic guys, uh, pastors of, of a couple of four square churches in the area, sat down with the guys the week at, or after I left the, the meeting the previous time, and they said, guys, I could tell that was just really awkward for him. Let's back off. Let's do it more like he's used to so that he can feel comfortable and welcome in the group. That's beautiful. That's love. Now, those guys took some guff for that because some of the guys didn't feel like they were having a prayer meeting unless they were hooping and hollering. You know? Just, a, again, a matter of personal preference and, and experience. But these guys were willing to sacrifice their personal preference for the sake of the new guy. And it allowed me 
to get to know them, to get to know their hearts <laughs> and get to know the different way that they went about stuff. And we ended up having great fellowship for years down there. In fact, I ended up working with some of those guys a few years later in some very significant ways. That was love. That was love, and love is crucial. Philippians 1, 7 to 11 says this, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, we're going to talk about love again tonight. And some of you think, well, we just talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yes, we did. So why are we doing it? Because we don't do it enough. Now, I, I want to tell you, I'm enjoying getting to know you and appreciate the love that I that I sense and feel and can tell by your actions and your words. But I also can tell you this, we all can grow still more and more in this whole area, and it is crucial. Let's read a couple of verses that tell us why. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together uh, themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now listen to this one. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Think about that for a minute. Think about how Christ has loved us. That's incredible love right there. Incredible, perfect, sacrificial love. Love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if, if you have love for one another. You know, most people have birthmarks, uh, you know, moles or something on their body that kind of sets them apart. Uh, designers are known by their trademarks or logos, Tommy Hilfiger, uh, Ralph Lauren, um, and those who hold offices are, are set apart because of their attire. 
You see a judge in his robe, you know that's a judge. You see a policeman in his uh, outfit, is, you know he's a policeman. You see a doctor in his gown and the stethoscope, and you th- that's a doctor. For us as believers, the thing that is supposed to identify us and set us apart is what? Our love for one another. Not how well we sing, not how much we preach, not uh, how many laws we follow. How we love one another. First Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Did you hear that? This group was really doing a good job of loving. But Paul is writing them and saying, Come on, excel. Excel at it. Don't just kind of do it. Don't just tolerate one another. Don't just be nice to each other. Excel. Excel at loving one another. Then 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. See, this this isn't pretending. It's not putting on an act. Fervently love one another from the heart. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. And then one more uh, scripture here. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Again, this is huge. This is huge. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you better love. Otherwise, you're kidding yourself. The one who doesn't love doesn't even know God. Because if you knew God, you would know this is huge to him. This is priority to him. This is crucial to him. 1 Corinthians 13, I don't have it written down here, but 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Again, that is used all the time in weddings. It's not, it wasn't written for a wedding. What was it written for? It was written for the body of Christ. It was to say, this is how you should love. This is what it should look like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's all for you and me and how we are to treat one another. So, question, who are we to love with this special love? Now listen, we're supposed to love everyone, aren't we? Everyone. But do you know 
we really are to have an extra special love for one another in the body of Christ. An extra special love for one another. And that's point number one. Real saints have special love for other saints. By the way, how many of you here are saints? How many are saints? Few of you, come on now. Most of you got it. Some of you don't. You're a saint. If you are a Christ follower, if you've received Jesus, you are a saint. We learned that a few weeks ago, didn't we? Or reminded that. You probably already knew it, but you're saint. That means you're set apart. And this is part of that being set apart thing is you specifically are supposed to be lover of other people, a, a true lover who gives sacrificially of, of himself, herself, for the sake of brothers and sisters in Christ. Real saints have special love for other saints. Verse 7 of uh, Philippians 1 again says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. There is something special about this, isn't there? There is something special. It's an incredible thing. I've been in a number of places in the world, Philippines a number of times, Japan, and I've had the blessing and the, the, the joy of meeting believers. And the first time I meet them, I know that they love me and I love them. There's something special there, the bond as brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10 says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren. And notice there, there's a special, this is talking about loving our brethren within the body, who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Number two, real saints have other saints in their hearts. Whoa. Now that's really interesting. You know, I, I come to church all the time, and I run into you, and, and I treat you well, greet you warmly, say hi, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit. But this, this just really stood out to me as I was studying this for the sermon. Paul had them in his heart. The heart is the very center of your thoughts and your feelings. Can you say that you have your Christian brothers and sisters in your heart, in your heart? Or are you just nice to them when you see them? I had to really think about that and think, you know, I think I can really step up this whole love thing. You know, I'm, I'm falling in love with you folks that come here every Wednesday night and put up with me. And as I get to know you, it's, it's a fun thing to get to know you and to see you and hear your encouragement. But I, I really want to have you in my heart 
and love you with that kind of love that you really are significant to me. Not just going through the motions because I'm at church and you got to be nice to everybody or you won't get to heaven. But really deeply care for one another. This is what Paul did and this is what we're called to do, I believe. Number three, we take one another into our hearts by choice. And we do this by choice based on our shared experience. To love isn't a matter of how we feel about one another. That's one of the great disasters of our culture. In America right now, if something doesn't feel really good, if it's not really enjoyable, if it's not working out, man, we, we're, we're of the mindset to just toss it and move on. What a disaster. What a disaster. The broken marriages, the broken relationships, the children that suffer because they aren't even getting an example of how to love another person. Uh, they're seeing fighting. They're seeing uh, brokenness and lies. And, um, and then they enter into relationships and they have no clue how to do it because it wasn't modeled for them. Love is a choice. I was fortunate. My mother and father loved one another, and there was never a joke about leaving. There was never a hint of that. They were totally committed. They were going to be together until death parted them. They meant those vows when they said them, and that's how they lived. I had a great example, and that's how Rhonda and I are doing it. She stuck with me no matter what. We're in this, and it was a choice. Have I, as she always felt like I'm the one? Probably not. I'm a pretty hard guy to live with. But that's not even an option to do anything else because the choice was made and the commitment is made and the covenant is there. I believe we're supposed to have that same kind of choice for one another as believers. It's tough because we're all different people from different places, different backgrounds, have different uh, ways of going about things, and sometimes we really rub each other the wrong way. We disappoint, frustrate, irritate. But there's no if when he tells us to love one another. It doesn't say, and love one another as long as they really behave and act well with you. It just says, love one another. In fact, it goes beyond that and says, be patient, be long-suffering. That's not fun. That's a choice. That's being willing to put up with stuff. Now, I'm not suggesting that we just let people walk on us, but we should have a lot more commitment than what we often have. We take one another into our hearts by choice, and we do this, and there's a really good reason for it, because we have a shared experience. It's based on a shared experience. 
Again, Philippians 1.7 says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. There's a reason he loves them. He's chosen to have them in his heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. You all are partakers of grace along with me. We are brothers and sisters. And because of that, look at, listen to these couple verses. I, I love this passage as well. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And it's describing the body of Christ. We really are special. We really are. It's incredible. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This truly sets us apart. And this describes me, and it describes each one of you that are followers of Christ. A, we have a shared privilege. We're a chosen race. This is a very privileged position that we have. Now, this isn't to go into some weird Nazi thing where we see ourselves as superior to others. We have the privilege of being chosen by God. Not because you and I are extraordinary compared to other people. In fact, oftentimes, he chooses the weak. We have a shared nobility. We are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Do you see yourself as that? Do you see the guy sitting next to you as that? The guy sitting across the way? You're a royal priesthood, Michael. Danny, you're a royal priesthood. Every one of us in here, we are part of this. What does that mean? We have a, a shared ministry. We have this privilege of representing Christ and God to others. We have a shared consecration. <clears throat> it says that we are a people for God's own possession. We have been selected and set apart, consecrated to be his possession. That's incredible. Each one of these we could do a whole sermon on. They're just, it's, it's magnificent, our standing. It truly is. And what we need to remember is, this is true for me, but it's true for my brother and my sister. We really are special. We have a shared identity. Um, yeah, we, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. We specifically are the people of God. And we have a shared purpose. I, I transposed them here. The shared purpose is so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We all have that shared purpose to make him known. And we have a shared kinship. Uh, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. And we have a shared inheritance. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We really are, we share some, something incredible. We share more between you and I than I share with a couple of my siblings. 
I'm the third of seven kids. Now, it just so happens that five of us also share these things. Five of us share not only the blood of Roger and Lorna Sherman, and so we're brothers and sisters that way, siblings, but we also share in that we all have come to God through the blood of Jesus, and we're now siblings for eternity, and we share these things as well. Now, you and I, we share these things, don't we? It's incredible. It's a beautiful thing. Number four, this love for other saints is, is to be evidence of our sanctification. Remember, if you were here last week, we talked about our sanctification. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that good work is our being transformed from the twisted, selfish creatures that we were to becoming Christ-like. Amen? And God's at work in that, at, at that very process, and he's going to make it happen. He's in the process of making it happen. And, it's, and that transformation is evidence of our being set apart and special. Number five, real saints mirror the affection of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.8 says, For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word there literally refers to the internal organs. Long for you all with the affection. Affection, the Greek term, is coming from the very innards of someone. The internal organs which are part of the body that reacts to intense emotion. It became the strongest Greek word to express compassionate love, a love that involves one's entire being. That's the kind of affection we are to have. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another. And then Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Once again, God's love for us is astounding. It's incredible. And that's what he's talking about when he says, imitate me. He's saying, love like I love. Number six, real saints overflow more and more with love. This ought to be something in our process of sanctification. We ought to be better and better at loving. Philippians 1.9 says, And this I pray that your love may abound, abound still more and more in real knowledge in all discernment. And once again, I'd ask the question, does that describe you? Is your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, for your brothers and sisters here at the church, is it abounding? I don't, I don't know that really would describe my love. You know, there's some people that I, in all the years of pastoring, we were at a church plant for nine years, and there, there's some people there that I think I really learned how to do that, and, and we still have that love. We still have that connection. 
But I believe I ought to have that kind of love for more and more people. Real saints overflow more and more with love. Number seven, real saints love with genuine love. Now here we go. This is, we're going to get into a little bit of what it looks like. Real saints love with genuine love based upon truth. Philippians 1.9 says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. This, the Greek word for this, uh, genuine love, uh, describes full advanced knowledge. Biblical love is not empty sentimentalism. It's not a mushy feeling that we have for someone. It's based on the things that we've just been talking about, the knowledge that we truly are family in a significant way, in a huge way that goes beyond even our blood relatives. But it's also in real knowledge of what the Word of God says about our brothers and sisters as well as us. <clears throat> it says we should have all discernment. Discernment, the Greek word for discernment, speaks of moral perception, insight, and practical knowledge, uh, practical application of knowledge. So discernment means we can look and see and comprehend that, oh, they need this. I need to do this on their behalf. We need to be sensitive to one another and looking and learning. You know, good parenting requires discernment. If we just <clears throat> did like the world tells us, a lot of times the world says, man, we should just love people. And, and love means you let them do what they want to do, what they feel like doing. What would that look for, look like if you were a parent? Your child, what is your child, how would they want to spend their day? Probably sitting in front of the tube eating candy all day. Is that, no, that wouldn't be? A lot of them it would. Now, would a good parent just say, okay, if that's what you want, you just go right ahead. Uh, no, absolutely not. That child would be so stunted in their growth. That child would be so limited in their life. That child would be so unhealthy physically, mentally, relationally. Love requires a parent to make difficult choices and do difficult things. It requires them to have discernment and say, oh, now wait a minute. Just because that's what my child wants... I can't afford to let them have that. Listen, we need to apply that same discernment in our relationships as brothers and sisters. Doesn't mean we're supposed to go around bossing each other, telling each other what to do, but we really need discernment when we really learn to love and develop relationships and we really find out about someone else. It might call for you to speak in love a word of rebuke 
it might call for you to say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Why are you about to do what you're about to do? Or why did you do what you did? It requires discernment. You know, there are many issues today that require knowledge and discernment. I, I am absolutely baffled that there are churches throughout the nation, even throughout the world now, that are welcoming behaviors that are absolutely clearly spoken of against in the Word of God. It's like sense has gone out the window. The LBGT, Q, whatever else they've added to it. And listen, we need to love those people, don't we? But what does love look like? Now, the world is telling us if you really love, you will allow these people, in fact, you will give them your blessing to live this kind of a lifestyle. There's a problem. God's word is very clear. God says he abhors sexual immorality. He abhors homosexuality. It's clear in the word of God. So what's more loving? To just let them do what they want to do? Or if we have built a relationship with someone, real love would say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What does the word of God say about this? Real love is difficult. Real love is challenging. I had, I've had to confront Precious brothers, because I saw that they were developing a relationship with someone outside of their marriage that was really not looking correct. Do we love one another to the extent that we are willing to step in again in love out of concern and sit down and talk openly and honestly? about issues in life. Real saints love with genuine love, not with fluffy, sentimental love. Well, number eight, truth-based love enables saints to live sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Philippians 1.10 says, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. <laughs> sincere means genuine. And it may have originally meant being tested by sunlight. You see, in, in these days, the Old Testament days, one of the items that was a major part of their daily lives was pottery. They used pottery for eating, for, for drinking, for cooking, uh, so many different things. And I, I didn't know this until I was studying for the sermon that there was actually 
um, people who would make pottery would sometimes cheat if there were some imperfections, cracks uh, in the pottery. They would actually fill the cracks with inferior products like wax uh, or other things and then paint over it and uh, try and get by selling a piece of junk. So what they would do is, if you knew what you were doing, you would actually give it the sunlight test. You would take the piece of pottery before you bought it, and you'd hold it up to the sunlight, and sure enough, the sunlight would actually penetrate if there were imperfections, if there was wax being used instead of actual solid pottery. They'd be able to distinguish the expensive ones from the garbage, and buyers would... uh, would follow this. And pieces that could pass the test were marked sine sera, S-I-N-E-C-E-R-A, sincere, sincere, sincere pottery. We are to be sincere. We are to love for real. Not just pretend, not just what we oftentimes throw out. And here's the cool thing. If you really love, you will fulfill your responsibility as a Christ follower. And number nine, real saints, overflowing with love through Jesus Christ, truly honor him. When we love one another, when we make that a priority, and really love sacrificially, he is truly honored. This brings him glory. This is what he wants. Philippians 1.11 says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Listen, last couple lines here. You cannot bring glory and praise to Jesus if you are not overflowing with love. Let me say that again. You cannot... Bring glory and praise to Jesus if you are not overflowing with love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13 that I spoke of earlier. What does it say in that chapter? It says, you may be able to speak with the tongues of men and of angels. You can move mountains, but if you don't have love, you're just making a lot of racket. You can do miracles, but if you don't love You're failing as a Christ follower. This is the challenge before us. This is his desire for you and I. This is what he wants to see. Now, the the question is, how do we do do that, though? Because that's really hard. It's really hard to love. You will only overflow with love when you are plugged into Jesus. Let me say that again. You will only overflow with love when you are plugged into Jesus. He's the power source. He is the great lover of all lovers. He is agape love, perfect, absolute perfect love. And I've noticed that it's when I've really given myself over to time with him, being in his presence, worshiping him, being in his word, that's when then I get up from there and go out 
and I overflow with love. If I'm not really, really plugged into him, I really struggle to love other people. Have you found that to be true for you as well? Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, this is our prayer tonight. We know you've made it so clear in your word over and over that you want us to love with a special love. But Lord, I confess that that truly is unnatural for me, and you know that. But Jesus, I pray, and I believe my brothers and sisters here would be joining me in this prayer tonight. Would you please help us to keep seeking you, to keep being in your presence, to keep being plugged into you so that we can overflow with your incredible love for our brothers and sisters. Help us, Jesus, to become sensitive to one another, discerning, really considerate of our brothers and sisters and how we can build them up, how we can encourage them, how we can make a difference in their lives. Help us, Lord, to delight your heart by truly loving one another.